Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I am excited to be sitting here with my good friend, Melissa, uh, talking about a topic that I don't know a lot about and something that she is a, quite an expert on. Um, we're going to be talking about female sexuality and sexual empowerment um, and her story of coming from being a sexual abuse survivor, really tapping in and diving into Native American healing traditions and spiritual traditions, and now becoming a female empowerment and sexuality coach. Melissa, I am really excited to be reconnecting, you, reconnecting with you in this format and hearing this story from you. So without further ado, can you say a little bit about what your From the Ashes story is? Thank you so much. Um, so I'm going to start by just taking a nice big deep breath because that's just what I need to do to ground in this moment. And thank you for the honor of having me on and letting me tell my story. Um, it means a lot to me and I'm super stoked to sit with you for this hour. Um, so, okay, so just digging in, I guess. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to start in like a once upon a time because that's how I feel like stories live in the body and the brain. Like we connect to these narratives. And so part of this narrative for me really started in like, uh, I'm the daughter of an immigrant on one side and on the other side, my mom uh, having a ton of trauma. And so I grew up like, with all of my necessities met and, um, you know, really praised. I, I was an honor student and um, eventually a star swimmer and, and very compliant and um, agreeable child generally. And I also did not get a lot of intimacy in my world um, and definitely did not have conversations about that as I grew older. So I found myself around the age of 12, really starting to grow into um, a young woman, but really having no idea what that meant. Had never had any sex talks, had never had any conversations about really dating or, or being with members of any sex of, in any romantic way. And um, I was also pretty awkward at the time. So I was like really tall and skinny and had glasses and super smart. So I was just really disconnected from that aspect of life and, and was not given any information from my parents um, in any way. So then 12 years old, you know, one day I'm like riding my bike. That was like something that I found so much joy in, uh, racing through the streets as fast as I could. And I'm riding my bike and this boy is also riding his bike and um, he comes up and he starts riding next to me and, and, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> um, but this guy is right next to me and, and he's talking to me and he's like super nice and we start talking and he rides me home and then, um, you know, 
we agree that we're going to like meet up and hang out again. And we did. And then he asked if I wanted to be his girlfriend, which at 12 for me at that point, I had kissed one boy and it was a horrible kiss, uh, you know, and, and like, I had no interest in doing anything other than that. Um, and so like, as far as like a boyfriend, I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, sure. Like maybe I'll kiss this boy. And, um, which I think is like appropriate for like 12, you know, first kisses happen around there for some people. And, um, and then one day I was like a latchkey kid, um, for a little while. So I was home after school and, um, this boyfriend of mine um, came over and no one was home. And my mom had told me, you know, don't let anyone in. So I was sitting on the front porch with him and he asked, um, can we go inside? And I was like, uh, you know, my mom said I'm not supposed to have anybody in. And he's like, well, it'll only be for a little bit and I'll make sure I leave before your parents come home. And, you know, I was like, okay, fine. I guess like I felt a little uncomfortable, but, also fine-ish, and went inside, and, like, within a period of 10 minutes, my entire world was just really turned completely upside down, because what I thought was going to be this really, like, somewhat innocent interaction um, ended in me being raped. Oh, my God. It's awful. It it was awful. Um, it was awful. And, and I was, again, I was 12. He was 14 at the time. Um, and I found out later that he actually had, uh, had raped another girl in my school, which I found out much later. And um, in any case, you know, this incident happened that, like, I can't even express the amount of trauma it was because not only was I not familiar with sexuality at all, but then suddenly I'm in this like extremely painful experience, right? Where my body is not mine. I don't have any control. There's no one around to help me. And so the only reason um, it was even like stopped is because um, the guy that came to clean the pool pulled into our driveway and like, you know, I was maybe like 10 minutes into this experience and this car pulled into the driveway and like, thank God, because he ended it sooner than I think it would have ended. Um, and not that, you know, obviously it wasn't soon enough. So, so like I had gone from like this, I was an honor student. I was a star swimmer. I have this huge sexual trauma experience. I don't tell my parents because I'm terrified that I'm going to be blamed or held responsible. I don't really have a great relationship with them anyways. Um, and I just start spiraling, right? Like this is, and this is like, now I know like a PTSD response, but I start using drugs by the time I was like 13. I started engaging more with boys, which is super common for, um, and, and you probably know that, like individuals who've experienced sexual trauma, children um, will often act out that trauma. And, you know, it's in between a child and an adult. So I'm, I'm trying to act out this trauma and finding myself like in situations that I still felt really scared. Like I wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to be there, but I kept like finding myself in these situations. I could put myself in these situations with um, boys. 
And then at one point I had this realization of like, I am not going to let this happen. And so like, this was me. It's like really mucked up. Right. And I think trauma does that. This is me trying to be empowered and not really realizing that I wasn't acting in an empowered way. But my solution was to take this, and this is maybe on the age of like 14, 15. Sexuality, it is a game. Like my body is a liability if I don't know how to like control it. And if I do, it's an asset, right? This is a way where I can have power in all these situations where I feel disempowered. Like I'm going to take it back. And it's funny because like, um, you know, like, and I think, you know, talking to you as like a, a guy, um, like the definition of like the, the word stud, you know, like this like outdated idea that like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like, you know, you go and you like get all these chicks and, and, um, and there's like not a female equivalent. The female equivalent would be slut. Right. And it comes with a negative right. connotation. Yeah. 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 But for me, I was like, I'm going to be like a stud, right? Like this is the narrative that I told myself. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to initiate only. I'm the one that's going to choose when to walk away. And these are like the rules of my game. And whatever boys happen to be in my past didn't really matter. And I was successful in winning my game. Like I'd say like 98% of the time, you know, and it was so dysfunctional, like this really dysfunctional way of relating to sexuality and like almost training myself to be like this. Um, you know, I kind of thought of myself as like a, like a sexual Jedi, like really working with sexual energy and like learning to like move it around and seduce and, um, engage in this particular way, but never was I being vulnerable. Never was I actually experiencing pleasure. Um, all I was trying to do was convince myself that I could have some power in these situations and that nobody is ever going to make me feel disempowered again. Um, you're trying to control then, it. You're trying to take it back. Absolutely. You're trying to take back like, what was taken from you. Absolutely. And, and like in a way that was really arrogant and I don't, I don't use the word like sociopathic in like a, cause it wasn't like I didn't care. Right. Like it wasn't like I had a few boyfriends along the way that like I actually cared about, but, but there were like, um, there's kind of like this way of like collecting boy tears in a jar. Right. Like I, and I did, I had like a reputation, like, you know, my girlfriends would be like, please like, don't go after this guy. Cause like, I actually really like him. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Like, like this was, it was just a game of conquest. And, um, and like, I didn't care that like I left broken hearts behind me. Like all I knew that, um, all I knew about any of it is that I needed to be in control. Exactly. Like I need to take it back and it's mine. And in the process I was miserable, right? Like a lot of this was, um, under a, a lot of substance use, um, eventually ending up in like heroin use when I was like 15, um, so like not only was there like really mucked up sexuality, but like I also like wasn't clear and coherent. Um, and I thought I was being empowered, but I was really doing what I now identify as like kind of like a sexual self-abuse, right? Like I was perpetuating this trauma by engaging with people that I didn't actually care about, um, with sex that I didn't really want. 
it wasn't pleasurable, it wasn't enjoyable, and wasn't a positive experience. Um, all to like work to try to heal this trauma in some way. Um, so I went through that for like, that was like six, seven years, and I found myself um, in Crestone, Colorado. I grew up outside of Chicago. I had met some guy, you know, who lived in Crestone. I was like, oh, I'll go visit him. Fell in love with the mountains. Moved out to Colorado. Um, and I still, like, I had gained, at that point, I had gained a little more awareness. But I still see it as really throwing my sexual energy around somewhat recklessly. Um, and I found myself in an abusive relationship. And to me, it felt like a challenge, right? Like, oh, okay. Finally, like something difficult, I can like work through this. And then there's also this part of like worthiness, right? Like, am I worthy for um, actual boundaries or pleasure? And like at that point in time, I still didn't think I was. So I'm in Colorado. I'm in this abusive relationship. Uh, sex, you know, is a part of my life, but it's a really horrible experience. Um, and it wasn't until I got out of that relationship that really anything started to shift. And that was through like a spiritual path. Yeah. So there was this awful spiral that I'm hearing, you know, and I think it's really common, like you said, for you know people that have been survivors of rape or of sexual assault, sexual trauma to want to take it back, to want to reclaim it, to act out because it's trying to make sense of it. And what I heard from you is that your connection with your family wasn't that strong. I'd imagine there wasn't like many role models to help you guide through, you know, the, the trauma that, that you felt. Um, what stands out for me, did you have moments of sadness or did the trauma come through at all? Or did it really feel like you were on this power? Like you said, you were a sexual Jedi. Did, did it really was, yeah. was like the, the grandiosity all encompassing? Yeah, absolutely. So like, I would say the grandiosity was like such an incredible, honestly, in, in retrospect, like such an incredible moving force in my way of avoiding feeling the pain of the trauma. But yes, absolutely. There were moments where I would, um, you know, I can think of this one time, um, you know, I, I hooked up with this guy and like in the middle of, of having sex with him, like, I think I was 17. Um, I'm, I was crying, you know, like I'm in tears because this experience felt so horrendous to my system. And I was, I was putting myself in it. Like there were definitely moments where my facade shattered. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. there were some moments that, that cracked through. What did your parents think? Did they have any idea about what was going on when the behavior, like when you started they, hooking up with more people, how did they respond to that? Yeah. I think my parents really, um, were lost, you know, and, yeah. and I think I really do believe people do the best they can for what they have at the time. And I think that my mom's trauma history made her completely unavailable. So they, what they thought is I was just a mess. Like they're like, Oh, she's on drugs. They were a little worried about like the boys, but like they didn't really engage in that. Cause it was like too taboo, I think to engage. Um, but, um, you know, they did, they, they tried to find a counselor for me, like, and really I like, that is a part of this narrative. It's like 14, I'm in a counselor's office. I'm talking about my self-esteem and this counselor's like, Oh, you know, honey, like, I'll just teach you how to curl your eyelashes. And I was like, holy fuck, you could not have missed the mark any further. Right. Like I'm like using substances and I'm like abusing my own body. 
And I ended up trying to commit suicide. Um, like all this is happening and, and you want to talk to me about curling my eyelashes. Like in, in that moment, I was, I had a flash, even like my craziness of like, I am going to do something someday to help people like me. Yeah. And, and you do. And it's incredible that, you know, you're living out that little girl's dream in some way, right. Of, of letting healing that. Right. And as we move into our break, We'll be talking more on the other side about the Native American spirituality, about how you began your healing process, about how this facade shattered and you moved into kind of the next phase of your life. Um, for those of you listening, if you're interested in what we're talking about, there's something that relates, please you know, share it, send it to people, promote it. This is a really important story, and I can't wait for you to hear the next chapter. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Melissa, and we're talking about, I mean... 
rape, really. I and mean, we're talking about sexual trauma, sexual abuse. You shared that really vulnerable and, you know, horrific story of what would happen to you when you were 12 and the spiral of trying to reclaim your sexuality, your spiral of trying to, you know, reconnect in the way that you knew how in the way that was traumatized. And where you left us off before the break is getting into an abusive relationship, moving to Colorado, moving to Crestone, having your life, you know, shatter in some ways, you know, going into the ashes, as we say on this podcast. And now we're talking about the recovery, which for you, uh, you said the main vehicle was Native American spiritual practice. So I'm curious to hear about that. I'm sure our listeners are. So do you want to kick us off? What, what, how did you find yeah. that community? What was that like for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the gentleman that I, I met in Chicago, um, I was canvassing for Greenpeace at the time, and he told me he I canvassed this guy, and he's like, telling me he didn't have any money, and I was like, okay. He said he didn't have a bank account. I was like, all right, whatever. I was like, where do you live? That you don't have a bank account. And he's like, oh, I live in Crestone, Colorado, and uh, you know, we talked, and he's like talking about how he built his house out of like refrigerators and tires. Like, there's a big alternative building community there, um, which is something that like. You know, I'm, I'm pretty eco-minded in many ways, not as much as I'd like to be, but at the time I was super passionate for sure. So I was like, oh, I'll go visit. And um, for people who aren't familiar, like Crestone, um, you know, is kind of seen as like this like spiritual Mecca. There's like a lot of stories about it. You know, there's the mountains to the south that I think the Ute um, – had like some origin stories, like their gods came from like Blanca to the south and like this huge valley, uh, 8,000 feet high, super harsh, super gorgeous, huge mountains. Um, and all of these spiritual centers are there. So there's like representation, representation from Japan and there's Christian monks and there's a Zen center and there's an ashram and, um, you know, various gurus go and like, Buddhism and all of these things are represented. Um, and so I, I found myself there super excited, but then like got sucked into this relationship. It took me a number of years to get out. I was like with this guy for like four years, um, five years. And, and then on my way out of that relationship, I stepped right into, um, you know, I've been building relationships in the community for a number of years and, had tapped into like a little bit of like Buddhist perspective, but also stepped like right into Native American sweat lodges. And then following that teepee meetings. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, I'm a white woman. <laughs> I don't want to like take anything away from like Native practices or act like an expert. I'm not. Um, I felt really humbled and grateful to learn some of those ways and to learn some of those ways, like even on the res and traveling around the country. Um, but in Crestone, I practice with this one family. Um, it's called the Hayushpe, which is an, a blood family. It's people who choose to be in relation in these practices. Um, doing a lot of peyote meetings and a ton of sweat lodges. And there was, you know, actually two Hayushpe's that I connected with. Um, and I was so deeply involved in that, like sweating really regularly and doing TP meetings on a pretty regular basis. And a lot of the teachings that come with these Native American practices are really about humility, discipline, honesty, strength, dedication. There's a lot of dogma around it. Um, and, and like absolutely transformed my relationship with my body my ability to heal, my ability to feel compassion 
um, not only for myself, but, but even for my rapist, you know, which was a fundamental part of my healing process, like forgiveness, right? Um, and coming out of this, like it was messy, you know, um, still, and like even within the practices, you know, I had some instances with, with men that like, you know, really brought to my attention my responsibility to my body and to my healing and to the sacredness of sex, right? Um, so really got this experience of like, um, kind of like ripping my guts out and like reshaping the narrative into recognizing sexuality as like a sacred right, as something that is really broken in our world um, and convoluted, but also a place where I have the ability to reclaim in a way that actually has integrity, meaning fully consensual and open and um, respectful and willing um, and humble to the process. you know, and it was a couple of years walking through that, really getting clear um, that, like, I, I didn't want to abuse my sexuality. I didn't want to throw it around. I wanted to be really careful with myself and tender with myself, which is really what I needed the whole time, right, was that tenderness. Um, I took a year of celibacy, which was fantastic um, to really just spend that time with myself and my own healing process. And... Um, you know, I, I did fall into a very brief relationship um, that was like also had signs of abuse. I got out right away because I, I had healed in a way where I recognized my worthiness and really like pulled back from relationship in general until I felt really clear and healed. And it was clear with myself, I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not willing to be dishonest. I'm not willing to shrink. I'm not willing to like move my boundaries around. And I'm not going to sacrifice any of those things for anybody um, I need someone who's fully, you know, on their path of their own realization to partner with. And, and I eventually met my husband, um, who also was a huge part of my healing process um, because he creates space for the moments when things do come up and we do have playfulness and we do have openness and we have this really sweet connection where our sexuality, you know, eight years into our relationship is still vibrant. Um, and that, you know, that feels like a really huge blessing. Like, I have really deep gratitude for being led down this path. That's a feat. I mean, just to have a vibrant sex life eight years into a relationship is wonderful. You know, I mean, a lot of the guys mm-hmm. I work with, yeah, it dries up, you know, and they're like, oh, maybe, you know, two or three times a year. Um, I want to walk you back a little bit to the sweat lodges and the peyote ceremonies. I'm yeah. curious if you could let our listeners know, they might not be as familiar with those practices, uh, what yeah. a typical practice might look like, you know, what kind of, you know, containment or ritual space is created, maybe a message or two that you learn from them. If you could make one of those come alive, I think it would help our, our readers, our listeners really, you know, place themselves in your story. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting, I mean, you could talk about Native practices, Broadly, right? And that there's a lot of different tribes, as we know, and a lot of different variations of practice. And then even within tribes. So I um, was trained and like studied in like Lakota practices. Um, so this is for, like from the Dakotas. Um, I did sit with like some Navajo ceremonies, but tr- primarily trained in Lakota practices. Um, and so, like, for example, like um, the sweat lodges, you know, there's um, typically there's four rounds. 
So there's like these stones um, that you gather and like everything has a an element of gratitude, right? So you collect these stones and we refer to the stones as grandfathers and we like handle them with care and we offer tobacco to the ground to like um, say thank you. And these stones have a fire built around them so they get super hot and they go into this sweat lodge and the sweat lodge is built out of willow branches typically with blankets over the top and um, it's like very tightly sealed. Like you can breathe, um, there's airflow, but like it's also like a container and this is really kind of representative of going into the womb, right? Because you crawl in. It's, there's this little opening, and you crawl in, and you're, like, on the dirt. You, like, walk around uh, or, like, crawl around this, like, little center spot. And that's where the stones go in. And you bring stones in each round sometimes, or sometimes they'll bring them all in in the first round. Different people have different ways of working, depending on their lineage. Um, and there's rounds. So the, the door goes down. There's songs that are sung. There's different songs for different rounds. Um, there's a prayer round. There's a forgiveness like um, aspect to that. Um, and then, you know, the last round is like a gratitude round. And these prayer rounds are really, I think, where you're um, getting this incredible purification because a lot of the prayers focus around um, the idea of being a hollow bone. This is like a concept in Native, practice, Native American practices. And being a hollow bone, you let spirit come in. Like you empty out, similar to like Buddhism, right? Like you're emptying out pieces of your ego. You're emptying out like your own um, sense of direction or identity or who you think you are, pouring it out and like letting spirit come in and guide you, right? And and I align that with like these ideas of like basic goodness. A lot of spirituality, right? Like has these um, concepts around, you know, opening our hearts up and allowing ourselves to be moved by spirit. Um, you know, and you're on the ground in the dirt and it's hot. Like, this is like, these are hot, hot, hot. Like, it's suffering, right? Through that suffering, there is like a transformation that happens. And when you're done, you crawl out and you get these big, deep breaths and like, you have this beautiful potluck ceremony and you offer food to the spirits. And like, it is such an incredible ceremony. And, and the painting meetings are kind of similar, except there's peyote involved. <laughs> And they last all night. Um, different, again, different tribes have different ways of relating to it. Um, you know, with this um, practices and the ways that I was taught and most often experienced, there's um, a little bit of element of Christianity, which is like from when they came and tried to like take over um, Native Americans and destroy their culture. Um, some of that got like integrated. So there's like, again, song rounds throughout the peyote meeting. And um, some of those are to Jesus, which is, like, really interesting. But, again, there's, like, this humility, there's this discipline. With the panty meetings, you're expected to sit up all night long um, while you're participating with this medicine referred to as grandfather. And, and um, you know, there's people crying and there's people purging and there's people praying. And um, it's there's a fire and there's different roles that people take to, like, take care of each other and, it's such a beautiful, powerful, difficult ceremony. And again, walking out in the morning with this heartbreaking open experience of, okay, I've gone through a purification process and now I can be like this vessel for spirit and live in integrity. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't done peyote, but I've done a handful of sweat lodges. I'm actually with Randy Bonham, mm -hmm. who was one of the previous guests uh, and you knew him. Uh, he was, it was in a group with you. Yeah. And what surprised me 
Well, one thing was surprised me was how loud it was. Like how I wasn't, I didn't know there was going to be singing. Right. And it's just yeah. like, it's so cacophonous because that, like you said, that environment, it's very small and it's sealed. And I was just like swept away. And of course, you know, you know, I'm also like a white guy and I kind of went a handful of times, you know, on Randy's invite and endorsement. So I don't know what they're singing. They were singing in Lakota and it was yeah. for, so I didn't know really how to participate, but for me, I was just getting like hit with it. Um, and just yeah. hearing all the people in a good amount of suffering, right? In a good amount of suffering, yeah. singing with such clarity and unison and beauty was really powerful for me as I'm like, you know, dying on the ground essentially, right? To have to have like this like, you know, unity of, of people, um, this chorus, you know, beautiful chorus around me was like very, very powerful. And I, you know, my experience of it was, you know, when you're really hot or when I was really hot, the only thoughts I could think were the important ones, right? It, it just burned away everything. And whether yeah. that's, you know, for me, I'm still trying to figure out my spirituality, but re for me, whether that's spirit or that's like my brain shutting down or that's like some clarity of focus and discipline, um, whatever it was, it was very powerful in that, like, it really clarified the important pieces. Um, and I get interested, you know, you mentioned Buddhism before and other spiritual practices. I'm curious, a question for you of this connection between like struggle, struggle, discipline, suffering, and spiritual growth, right? Like this yeah. idea that like, it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be really, really hard and it's really going to suck. I'm curious what your thoughts yeah. are around that, that connection. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that. Cause I, I've, I, this is like a big topic in my world. And with uh, a lot of the work that I do with my clients, it's like, the actual reality of accepting suffering and the process of leaning fully into it instead of avoiding it. Right. And like that, that's like the Buddhist teaching, right? Like we turn towards it. Um, and the same thing with like the Native American practices, like you're right. There's so much suffering. You are on the ground. Like, Holy shit. I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> like, why did I do this? I'm going to just like pray harder or whatever. Right. Like your system is like clearing in some way. Um, and I, I mean, I honestly get really curious about it too. I don't think suffering is avoidable, right? I think that's just part of being human. We have expectations. We want things a certain way. We want things we want, and we don't control everything. So inevitably, we're going to be disappointed, you know, and, and like a lot of those attachments are perfectly reasonable, right? Like we want to have a healthy life. And, and if we get sick, we, we don't feel good and we suffer in that or, or we want to have love and connection, we don't get that. We're going to suffer. You know, we're humans. We're tribal animals. We're supposed to have that. It makes sense that it hurts, right? Because it's a motivator to keep seeking it out. So in my mind, you're not going to avoid it. You might as well lean into it. And I think there, I think of the concept of a warrior a lot. When we are, I think in the human experience, there's an invitation to like a warriorship of like, you're not going to get out of this alive, right? Like, you know you're going to die. You know you're going to suffer. You're going to do your best to try to be in connection and fulfill your purpose. And that process is going to be messy and you're going to fail. So you might as well acknowledge it and surrender to it, right? And in that surrendering, I think that we get support from whatever you want to call it, right? Like either we're being vulnerable and we get support from other humans or, or depending on your spiritual view, um, we create space for spirit to come in, right? Um, but I don't think we have a choice. <laughs> so you might as well turn towards it radically. 
Yeah, I'm really interested in that. And we'll talk about more of that on the other side of the break about being a spiritual warrior and turning towards the suffering, because I agree with you, right? With this, our culture is so much about like denial, avoidance and pleasure seeking, right? And kind of flooding the system rather than what you're talking about, right? This hollow bone idea of emptying out the system and listening to what is real and what is happening in the present moment. So for those of you listening, uh, hang in there. Uh, We have one more commercial break and then we'll talk about um, these concepts more and hopefully give you something to take away. If you can relate with Melissa's story or interested in learning more about the work that she does as an empowerment coach. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark Teachable.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-C, dash Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot Teachable.com. For teens, by teens, and about teens, tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express Yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. And check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. So, Melissa, we just heard your just incredible story of being, you know, a rape survivor at an early age, you know, diving into sexuality, being a sexual Jedi, but having that coming from a place of trauma and then understanding and participating in Lakota Native American traditions of peyote ceremonies, sweat lodges, emptying yourself out and making room for spirit. And where we ended was talking about this idea of turning towards suffering and looking at it, you know, straight in the eye, which is so hard. 
you know, for, for everybody, mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the work you do now as an empowerment coach, I'm curious, what type of suffering do you see in women now, in the people that, that you work with and that you talk with? What are some of the things that they struggle to look in the eye and, and face yeah, I would, I'm would. i kind of curious to also ask you that question just to say that, because I know that you work primarily with men. Um, with women, and I, I like, I'm really tender in that maybe I try not to overgeneralize, like, oh, women are like this. Like, that's not how it is. But there are definitely themes. Um, and a lot of the themes that I see with the women that I work with um, are women being afraid to use their voice and ask for what they need clearly. Um, a lot of outdated practices of like expecting men to know and invisibly meet their needs and then being disappointed by that, which I think is like, I do a lot of work with like self-responsibility with the ladies that I work with um, because that to me is empowerment. Like when you can look at where you have power and control and actually change it. Um, and so a lot of it, I, really the majority of what I see is just women being scared to take up space and to use their voice and to ask for what they want and to fully express themselves out of a place of fear of rejection or hurting their partners um, or, or you know, not being able to communicate clearly because they're not even fully clear on what they need, right? Um, I want to ask you, what do you see with men? <laughs> It's like the major points of suffering. I mean, well, on on the note that you said on the ones that are married, it's the other side of that. It's I'm you yeah. know in a relationship with a woman, and I don't know what she needs. I don't know what's going on with her. You know, yeah. my emotional life is very rocky, very spiky. You know, I think everything's fine, and then it's all of a sudden it's not. You know, so I yeah. think that initially brings them in, but what's underneath that for a lot of my guys, quite frankly, is profound loneliness. You know, is, yeah. is loneliness either in connection with other men, which I think as guys get older and we move away from, you know, sports teams where a lot of guys get it or, or college or, you know, work environments, like there's not a lot of real emotional connection with other men. I think that's dramatically lacking mm-hmm. and, and they feel it. Um and I think also loneliness from their communities. I mean, a lot of my guys are high performers, they're executives, they're startup owners, and they're all about work. You know, many of them are workaholics or money, money addicts, which, you know, self-described. And they, they just, for some reason, are not trained. And I think the same way that women are to value community and connection. And then they Absolutely. get really confused as to why they feel so empty all the time mm-hmm. or why they feel like their life is totally. meaningless. And it's like, yeah, you just... You know, you don't have anybody. You're doing all this work, but for, for what? You know, for, for what? So there's a lot of that loneliness, I think, that, that men struggle with. Yeah. Gosh, I like my heart. I like feel that in my heart when you say that because it, it is so reflective. You know, obviously we're kind of like, I think, touching on hetero relationships a little bit because I think it does look different um, with, uh, you know, queer relationships sometimes with women at least. But, um you know, it's interesting to hear that piece of it because I think that's a lot of where the struggle is for a lot of my hetero women is, um, like, why isn't my partner available? And, like, why isn't he as responsive as, like, I am? And and you're right, you spoke to this idea of, like, cultural training, right? Like, women are trained to be responders and to track and to take care. And then in that process, they don't take care of themselves, right? Because we're also taught, I think from a really young age, that we're supposed to tend towards others. 
um, and that our own needs can like go in the back burner. And thankfully that's changing, right? Like we're like seeing that shift. But I think a lot about men in that process because I think, like, you know, I consider myself a pretty strong feminist, obviously, but I think the feminist movement also hasn't really acknowledged, like, well, where do men go now, right? Because, like, we've looked at, like, thousands of years of, like, this particular kind of power, and now we're just going to, like, rip the rug out and be like, sorry, now we're all angry and pissed off, and we're going to try to, like, clumsily find our way to our own power and, like, do all the things that you can do, Um and, like, now what, right? Like, where is men's place? And, like, how do women tend to that um, shift, right, consciously and, and with compassion and gentleness um, while also honoring the masculine, right? What? Cool. I, I mean, I'm, like, so stoked that you are doing that work with men. Yeah, they, they really need it. I'm stoked you're doing that work with women. You know, I, I do believe, I curious your thoughts on this, I do believe in masculine and femininity. Um, I don't think it has to be connected to sex or gender, but I do think yeah. that there is something in the polarity that happens. And I work with, you know, a handful of, you know, uh, gay individuals and in their relationships, there is still a masculine and feminine, like those, those roles yeah. do seem to manifest. And I think that the masculine and feminine can learn a lot from each other because in kind of what you're saying, like they're very, very different and one isn't better than another, but they are different. And they yeah. need each other. I, th I think in my belief is that they do deeply need each other to become like yeah. a more complete being on either end. What, what, what are your yeah. thoughts on, on that? What do you think about that? Yeah, I actually, I actually really, really, really agree with that idea around like there is a balance. Um, you know, in my own like um, experience with working with women, it is a lot of like calling in some of these more masculine qualities, like traditionally masculine. And I'm, I'm making air quotes. You can't see them. <laughs> Uh, uh, as you're listening, but, um, you know, some of these more masculine qualities of like being willing to take up space, being willing to give clear direction, right? Like that is, that is like traditionally kind of a masculine quality. And no wonder there's a bunch of hetero men lost, right? Because, you know, I'm talking with my ladies and I'm like, oh, have you explained that to them? And they're like, well, no, I haven't. Cause I'm scared or cause I don't want them to get me hurt or whatever. And it's like, well, how is he supposed to know? Right. Like go ahead and take up space, go ahead and like express yourself because that's how you get your needs met. Right. Like we can't all wander around, um, you know, on one extreme or the other, right. Like shrinking down into like, what is like some sort of traditional, um, feminist, like feminine martyrdom. Right. Um, but really inviting in some of these, um, qualities that have traditionally been reserved of masculine, absolutely, like they need to be integrated in the body, in my opinion. Um, and that looks like a spectrum, you know, in my opinion. Um, but some of those fundamental pieces, like taking up space and having a voice and giving direction and being clear, um, utilizing logic um, in moments of high emotion. Um, and on the flip side for men, right? Like, you know, encouraging men and their partners to take up less space or to learn to develop more awareness and attunement, um, to develop softness, to learn to be okay sharing tears, right? Um, some of like my most dear moments with my husband are when he's broken through and touched his feminine side with me, right? And that feels so deeply connecting because then it feels like we're showing up as equals, right? We're not polarized versions of, of anything. We're whole beings coming together. Um, it was really what I strive for with my clients is really helping them find their wholeness 
um, and being able to show up authentically, vulnerably, with clarity, um, discovering what their needs are, being able to communicate that um, so that they can get them met and be happy, whole, vibrant beings. Yeah. I mean, I'm just smiling as you're talking because I do, you know, the other side of that session, right? With my guys, it's encouraging them to learn how to speak the female language and talking about their emotions and being vulnerable and all that. And just like the same thing, like they'll do, they'll be vulnerable with me. I think some guys, it's the ones that I work with over time, are able to be more intimate with a man because there is all this fear of being judged by a woman, being rejected by a woman, being, you know, castrated or just like destroyed. Yeah. I mean, like we have a lot of fear of that. Um, so yeah. to say with a man, and then I'll say the same thing you said, I'd be like, well, did you tell, do you tell her any of this? And he's like, no, I just said everything's going to be okay. And it's like, no, you need to like, <laughs> like, it's okay to say that you're afraid. It's okay to say that, like, you don't quite know what to do in this particular situation. Like she might be able to support you in ways that you are not aware of. Um, she might be able to really help you in, in that moment. Um, so yeah, we have to start to wrap up. We are just kind of getting into more of this debate and um, discussion topic. Maybe we'll have you on for a future episode uh, to talk about some of these differences and, and how people can become more more unified. And so on that note, I'm curious, uh, where can people find you? Uh, what kind of work do you do? What are you offering right now? Uh, website, social media, email, whatever you got. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah, cool. Um, really quick. We're like making a great team in the world, Mark. <laughs> um, so if people want to find me, um, you can find me on Instagram, Melissa Sladen. Melissa Sladen. Uh, you can find me at my website, melissasladen.com. Um, right now I do offer one-on-one -on -one, uh, coaching. Um, I do packages. I do individual sessions. Um, there are some... There's a book that's being processed right now, and I'll just like say that as like a piece of public accountability, hoping next year it'll be finished around um, sexuality. Um, I have a podcast that I just started uh, like last month called Then the Rising. Uh, right now you can find that on Spotify and a few other places. Um, and then anything else, I'm hoping to have a group, um, and, and that would be listed on my website or Instagram. That's great. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that people can interact with you and can learn more about you and, and can get coached. I think it's it's fantastic. So I've really enjoyed this episode. Uh, for those listeners out there, if it's been helpful for you, um, again, sharing it, giving us five-star reviews, doing all the social stuff really helps us as you know, this podcast is, is maturing and, and it's really getting out there. So any kind of support is really helpful for this project that we're doing. And so many people need to hear these messages and hear these stories. So thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next week on From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.